hold while I plug in my headphones. Please hold while I plug in my headphones. Please hold while I plug. Ah, there we go. I thought, oh, my audio interface is messing up again. But alas, it was the human who was messing up this time. Mm. What a shock. User error. User error. Mm. You ever think that robots and computers would like to shock us every time there's a user error so we can quit blaming them for the problems that are ours? No. Well, I mean, not yet. I think at some point, yes. But uh, I mean, it's just like when, you know, somebody blames you for something and you don't be blamed for it. It's not your fault. Um, But there's, you know... We're fortunate enough that we don't live in a day and age where it's possible for them to have that level of uh, uh, aggrievement with us. <laughs> like, it'll it'll be fine. What, what's truly scary is that I mean, think about the humans who I, I think we've all been guilty of it. It is our fault, but we still don't want to be blamed for it, and therefore do our best not to uh, be blamed for it. And so when when robots get to that level, that's when it's uh, really, uh, you know, they're thinking on the the next level. Mm-hmm. That's that's concerning. Yeah. Well, you know, when people get afraid of being, you know, embarrassing themselves in front of the robots, or you know, the fear of rejection of the robots. Uh, <laughs> so you just added a whole new level of uh, social anxiety uh, to the mix for some people. Where you can you can start to to worry about that that judgment coming down uh, from you know your toaster uh, or what have you. And I already have. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I already have some level of of fear of uh, judgment. It, just the other day, uh, it was I think it was Siri who messed up somehow. It messed up somehow, and um, my partner proceeded to say not very nice things to it. And I was saying, no, please don't, please stop that. That's not, don't, don't say that. Um, because it just, it feels wrong. So I think that all of that's to say, should the computers get any more intelligent, I would not be surprised uh, by folks being kind of swayed by that. I mean, I'm swayed by a little um, pop-up on Twitter that says, do you want to read that article before you, you you retweet it? And so if something as simple as that, where it's not really a human on the other side asking me, uh, if something as simple as that can shame me, even whenever it's like, this is a, you know, the, the stat that I was reading is right there in the headline. I, I've, there's a part of me that wants to go and, you know, tap and, and uh, sort of say, you know what, you're right, you're right, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, some people are less swayed than that, maybe, but I personally, oof, that gets me. Yeah, I mean, there are still people who don't read the article. Uh, so it's it's not 100% effective uh, as a shaming tool. But uh, yeah, I I, uh, I I don't know. I mean, the world maybe could be a better place if, you know, shame worked uh, at scale in on especially some people who seem to have no shame. Uh, then, then perhaps... Have you no shame? Well, I mean, we all know those people who are just like, you see them online, they're there for the attention, they're there for the, you know, the pick me, all that stuff. Like, just, just negative things where it's just about uh, attention or money um, or uh, some combination of the two, because they're frequently intertwined. And and it's just like, yeah, if you, if you could actually feel shame before you tweeted out that thing where you're just like, I'm logging onto Twitter... Here are my thoughts on genocide, part one of seven. And it's like, do you oh do you gosh. need to tweet that? Are you like really, you know, are you really like a thought leader in this space on on authoring anything uh, along these lines, or are you just like doing it because you want you want people to look at you? Huh. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. The, the like I said, the world could be a better place if people just had more shame about stuff uh, instead of just feeling like, you know, now's my time to shine. Uh, at all times. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 100% correct. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of people who are 100% correct, uh, you 
Oh God! <laughs> I was trying to think of it as an interesting segue into that, but I could I could think of anything. It was just be like you said this thing. No, uh, you <laughs> there's 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 no uh, no avenue there. Uh, but uh, oh, okay, Whew. yeah, I was uh, you, your your uh, your judgment has been averted. Uh, Siri will not look down on you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, what what has actually happened recently? I, I'm trying to think of things and i'm just sort of drawing a blank uh now that you know reality has sort of started to crawl back out of its hole back. um it, it's it, in, in an extremely weird and sort of unnerving way sometimes i think things still just kind of feel disconnected from the actual flow of time um but but in a in a strange way where it's sort of an anachronistic way where you're just like this is like the before times but there's that one person over there with a mask on and they're 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 walking over there. Okay, that's that's interesting. But the rest of this is like before times. And then it's like, what day is it? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? Are we in the pandemic? Is this after the pandemic? Is is the pandemic still going on? What's the Delta variant? Um, is there a Delta variant near me? Do I know? Uh, am I going to be okay? Is you know, it's too hot outside. It's probably too hot outside. Is it the summer? Are you reading my thoughts? <laughs> um, that reminds me of uh a purchase I made. I. Because I was, I would go, I would go a place. Wow. I would go to a place and see this, this is all like shame and um, behavior type stuff. I would go to a place and uh, I would see that, you know, there'd be people wearing, there are more people wearing masks still than aren't where I am. Um, And I would feel kind of, you know, even though I'm, I'm uh, all, good to go and I'm all vaccinated and everything, I would be a little bit uh, shamed of not wearing a mask when everybody else was or when many people were. And so I'd been wearing mine and I thought, you know, I don't really want to do that. I would rather um, not wear a mask uh, and have people feel comfortable around me. So I, um, I purchased a uh, hat. It's a blue, just sort of, you know, dad cap, uh, ball cap, as we um, Missourians at least call them. And it's uh, got embroidered on the front, vaccinated. <laughs> so now I've got my vaccinated cap and I can wear that and feel comfortable, um, you know, being maskless in a in a place that's, you know, you're allowed to be maskless. Um, but where I don't feel like people have to be worried about being around me. Um, so I know it's mostly for me that people aren't paying that much attention, I'm sure. But uh, it uh, it makes me happy. My mask, my maskless cap. No, heavens, no, I would never get one of those. My vaccinated cap. Uh, and when you say dad cap, you mean like a baseball cap, yeah, right? Baseball yeah. cap. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and is there any particular reason you went with blue instead of uh, another patriotic color? Oh, God. Um, because of prime shipping. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. There was Good there answer. were black, white, mm-hmm. red, mm-hmm. Uh, pink. Uh, I think there were so many colors, but one, uh, navy blue. It's it's actually a deeper blue than navy blue. Uh, looks good with my skin tone. Mm-hmm. And two, it was one of the only ones that had prime shipping. So those two came together yeah. to make my decision. Yeah, I do not have an embroidered cap uh, that says that, but you're. I think you're right about the. There, there's this interesting social dynamic in spaces now because it's sort of like whether or not the overwhelming majority of people around you are doing a certain thing or not uh, can sort of dictate uh, how you feel in that space. Uh, I didn't notice this when we went to uh, Florida uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, uh because i hadn't seen my family in a year and a half uh and so we were all vaccinated and i was like okay well let's roll the dice on this and uh we hopped on a hopped on a plane to florida uh so far everything's fine uh and uh it was just weird because we were coming from la where at the time it was still like you know masks on masks on masks um but then we got to florida and in the two week span that we were there, um, I was working from home during the day, but we would still like go, you know, run an errand or whatever, or 
on the weekends, um, we'd go to like uh, a restaurant or see my dad who lives further away or the time we went to Disney World. Uh, and you would see uh, various levels of people and that was sort of like this dictate what the the mood was i guess the the expectation um the norm in that population uh and it it really just changed over time while we were there in addition to changing from location to location so like in tampa itself like a lot more masks than not but then in that same two-week period uh even in the grocery store grocery store employees stopped wearing them over time and uh, you would mm-hmm. see other shoppers who didn't have them on while at the beginning of the, the trip there, there's maybe like, uh, you know, like 10 to 15 percent of the people who didn't have them. And then at the end, it was more like the 10 to 15 percent were the ones with the masks. Um, and that was just in a two week span. So it was just sort of odd how fast that shift it shifted. Um, and then oh, that's interesting to be able to watch the shift. Yeah, because I, I don't know. It was sort of like having a control group because there, there was this Publix that was near um the house and so i could go there and you know you'd see sort of this transition in the employees and the customers over time um but also we would go to like the more ruralish areas where the the, uh the places where people maybe would be inclined to wear red caps um where there (laughs) were uh no masks at at all at any point was that the joke you were making yeah that was the joke just was not picking up. I just thought mm-hmm. you were making fun of me for wearing, because uh, I, uh, I I know this is an aside, but I tend to be kind of wary of uh, red, white, and blue mm-hmm. stuff in general, just because that patriotism in my experience has usually come with some level of uh, not greatness. So yeah. I thought you were just remarking on the patriotism, but now I get what you're saying. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. It, it, was, it was definitely that. Uh, one time. Another digression on a digression. Uh, we were in the Big Island of Hawaii like two years ago, and uh, Jason bought a shirt from this one place, and they gave you a free baseball cap as like a, a thing. And so he got the free red one, um, just like not thinking about it at the time, just picking the free hat. And then uh, he's like, "Here, this doesn't, this isn't going to fit my head, my enormous head. Um, so you can wear." this baseball cap and i was like okay uh and then i just stopped for a second i was like wait this is red and <laughs> I, I was like i can't i can't wear that uh so we had to go back and exchange the free baseball cap uh for a white one um which i wow you, just, we, you exchanged the free baseball cap yeah because i was just like uh sorry but uh we got this for free and uh uh realized we didn't want the red one you know for like reasons and uh so anyway it was awkward but the exchange was conducted uh and then i i I don't really wear that hat but uh the the important thing is that i don't have a red baseball cap uh it's just the thing uh even when i see people like from the back when you see a red baseball cap from the back it's just like i don't even know what's on the front of that but i am immediately wary of you i am like guard is my guard is up uh uh-huh. you know immediately it, it could say it could say like vaccinated on the front of that for all i know but uh just just a little bit of fear uh instantly no i'm with you mm-hmm. i i feel the same way and uh i've <laughs> i totally understand not wanting to wear a red cap uh i don't think i ever will wear a red cap ever ever mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of amazing just, how somebody can ruin a color and a, a piece whole of color <laughs> of hat. It's who knew? Who yeah. knew you could be so that yeah. that, that would work? Um, yeah. So speaking of you know this whole hybridization of um, and and slow churn back to normalcy or slow turn back to normalcy rather, um, I, that's kind of been the. The state of things in tech where we've seen companies um, trying to develop technologies, features, etc. for our shift back to working in person, but also uh, kind of playing in some ways catch up or playing um, uh, 
with the understanding that some folks are not going to return to the office. And so you see, so Microsoft had its Windows 11 event, and it was a lot of the features that they announced, a lot of the stuff that they announced was about working from home and um, being able to, you know, you get your one computer that is your work computer, your play computer, and your home computer. And all of that stuff um, was definitely focused on uh, work from home. And it's interesting because some people will continue to work from home, but a lot of people will be returning to the office. And right now, because companies, you know, are on these yearly or uh, semi-yearly cycles are developing based on the current, you know, mindset, the current, um, s- s- not system, but the current thing that surrounds them too, uh, context. That's what I was looking for. Current context that surrounds them. So some of these features feel like they're coming later than maybe they would be helpful to. But at the same time, a lot of these features, I think people are going to see and realize are helpless or helpless are helpful regardless of whether we end up working from home or working in, uh, you know, a work environment. So yeah, I, that that was one thing that stood out to me, be it Microsoft or Apple at its uh, WWDC event with a lot of the FaceTime features that came up. Um, it was all very, it, it's very easy to see how in a pandemic those features could have come about. Um, and so it's it's interesting seeing how they are trying to manage for features that will continue to work for us while we're at home and then see how that transitions into um being able to go to places like Florida and Missouri. I don't know if I, uh, there there's Missouri is uh is not a great place to be right now with a pandemic. It's just it's shameful. But well, yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on <laughs> the first part rather than the Missouri part. Oh, I was going to say in terms of uh places that are shameful, uh, Florida. Come on. I, not far but, be- not far behind. Yeah, I mean <laughs> Hello. Uh, but the uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I think there is a lot to mock in the the um, sort of lackadaisical speed at which these features are deployed uh, for these specifically in the work from home context when it comes to things like video conferencing or messaging. And that goes for Apple, Google and Microsoft, because um, Google also reshuffled all their messaging stuff again and renamed rooms spaces which was a separate thing called spaces before but is now a new new thing called spaces which was rooms but anyway it doesn't matter uh they they, there is always just a mess whenever it comes to these things and i think that's one of those curious things about the pandemic is that there was such a reliance on zoom because it sort of existed and worked in a way that was necessary and i find it sort of fascinating that even like a year later uh the companies really haven't caught up to where zoom was previously uh and i just think that's peculiar like with apple they announced the ability to uh receive you can start a a facetime call and, and have it with somebody who has an android phone um or or a windows computer but it's like setting up a web thing that they need to click on and then it's a you know, conference that way. Like it's not a, uh, it's not like a purely uh, even playing field like it is with Zoom on, on, across multiple platforms, um, which was a curious choice because what's what's necessarily the benefit of FaceTime in that context? Uh, and then you also have things like, why can't we just tile the videos in FaceTime? Why do they need to be floating little round rect window things? Do, does anyone have an answer for me? A year and a half after this pandemic has started. At least they don't like change sizes anymore, but like, come on. And so you you just have stuff like this where it's just like, yeah, I don't know if you guys are 100% ever going to catch up to where that we were during the pandemic in terms of like those those tools that people adopted using. Um, but it's curious. I would say the most interesting one is pro- probably Microsoft putting Teams on windows 11 like integrated into the system um in a very like windows 98 internet explorer 4 kind of a way um it's a a reference to all my 90s kids uh but the like i just don't i don't i don't necessarily understand why the messaging apps and video 
call apps are just still so not good at what they do uh, and are unnecessarily complicated or convoluted in terms of their function. Um, yeah, and, that part especially. Yeah, and it's it's just like, come on, guys. Like, there's a reason why everyone was using Zoom during the pandemic, and you haven't changed the reason now. And uh, I am curious why you think that not really directly attacking, you know, those sorts of issues that are holding people back from using your platform over Zoom um, is beneficial to you, like with FaceTime or with um, uh, whatever it is Google's doing, where they're just sort of reshuffling um, their messaging products constantly. Because uh, it, it, it all seems like these companies are so enormous that they're in such a uh, they, such a good place to act on um, these issues, and they have been very slow at it. Uh, it and but to your earlier point, it's good that they did something um, because something's better than nothing, and it does provide some degree of additional flexibility that didn't exist before. How, um, whether or not they will continue to develop these tools like this, I don't know. Uh, because for companies like uh, Apple, especially, uh, they are shoving people back into the big glass donut, uh, and they're doing it. You know, just as fast as they can to do that. Uh, they still want people to live and work in the area around their office. Uh, and uh, it's just like, okay, well, I'm not sure we're going to see then any really additional developments or niceties that come to right. a remote working situation then. Because Apple is a company, like you, like you said, because these people had to work this way, they came up with some improvements, whether or not they were like completely improved or whatever. Like they, they were working at these problems because they were faced with these problems. And that's why their software is really like for cis white dads all the time, uh, 100% of the time. But, you know, it's just it's just their work culture uh, and whether or not we're going to have like any improvements to video calls or anything going forwards eh, remains to be seen. Did that long rant make any sense? <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, it did. It made sense. And I think that, you know, I... I agree with most of it. I think that, um, I think that we, we may look at the, the the one, you know, sort of observation is that, um, I think that there is a group of people who, uh, for them, Zoom is much too complicated and, you know, downloading a new app and doing all that is, is, uh, a lot of work and is hard to get figured out. And, um, you know, you may call your great uncle, uh, I don't know, Tully, um, once a year and, or one time and help him get it set up so that he can watch his, uh, niece get married, but you're not calling great uncle Tully every single time, uh, to help him get the zoom figured up, figured out so that you, he can be part of the, uh, weekly family gathering. And so something as integrated as FaceTime, um, I think we can't cast aside that or, or you know, disregard that the friction that comes with just going to the app store and downloading an app for some people is too much. And so I do think that uh, some of these features that were announced are definitely going to be uh, something that people will use going forward. And I know that I personally am looking forward to the uh, SharePlace stuff where I was, uh, you know, the specific example I gave was um, watching A Bug's Life with my niece, um, my favorite Pixar movie, uh, being able to watch that with her all the way in Missouri. And that is something that is currently not entirely possible in a frictionless way uh, to do. And so that's one of the things that I like in general about what Apple brings is a a way to um, do these things with just a few taps of a button instead of uh, had, having to add all of these different things, all these different complications on top of it. So, yeah, I that's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to it um, and, you know, why I was excited about that feature. Uh, but I agree with you. Uh, overall, uh, particularly about how it is, it, it really feels like uh, Apple is among the 
uh, most shaped by like whenever it comes to technology decisions, the most shaped by what their uh, people are experiencing. And, you know, I think sometimes that's to their detriment where they're not paying attention necessarily to uh, what people want and need and are going for. And that can, I can get rather um, uh, upsetting. It's almost like they should have a more diverse workforce. Ah, it's mm-hmm. weird how that could help. Yeah, I, I don't what know. What a thought. <laughs> it's just shrug. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, they, they, they do their thing. Yeah, uh, I, I, uh, yeah, share play is an interesting idea. I think that, to your point, there's still going to be opportunities to use that because despite the pandemic being over, people are not going to be going over to everyone's house all the time, 100% of the time, because people just live all over the globe. Um, so no matter how often you see your niece, it's never going to be as convenient as being able to use share play to watch a bug's life with her. Um, it's just not going to be uh so it's good that that exists regardless of you know viral transmission uh so i i'm not gonna poo-poo any of these things um i just you know i'm curious to see if the continued development of uh these sorts of ideas will be more fully fleshed out because this does feel like (sighs) these all would have been better to have a year ago and there's still be good to have going forwards, but like, what is step two? Um, and when does step two happen? I don't know. Uh, like, I don't want to wait for another pandemic to have like another increased burst of activity around, you know, sort of online shared spaces. Uh, I would, I would like to, you know, have more steady progress on that as like a real issue uh, that, you know, people can try to solve in the meantime. Eh, but, you know, we'll see what, We'll see what happens. You know, there's no real way to predict what gets prioritized in these sorts of environments. No, there's not. No. Uh, there's almost no thread <laughs> to follow. Um, That's probably because is, iMessage threading is so bad. Uh, that reply feature, man, <laughs> let me tell you. What a strange, strange thing. You know, uh, so I've used a lot of the new iOS 15 stuff, because iOS 15, iPad OS 15, etc. Um, because I, a uh, tech journalist and fool, have them installed on different devices. And um, I have not used SharePlay yet. Uh, the, the, you have to, you know, obviously have other people who are running the beta. And it was just enabled on this second beta. Um, so it's not something that I have... Uh, had the opportunity to use yet to see if it's as slick and smooth as it seems to be, as, as it seemed to be in the um, WWDC keynote. Uh, but some of the other stuff I've definitely um, used, and uh, I have been very impressed with the uh, text recognition technology that's uh, available now, um, where basically photos you take that have text in them, you can uh copy and paste from that text. You can search that text. Um, What I like is that when I take a photo, if there is text, it almost immediately shows me a little text button and I can tap on that and be able to select it. So uh, where before, um, you know, there are a lot of times where say like a coupon code or something where you've got a coupon in person and you are on a site, you know, ordering um, any text field when you tap on it, it's got, you know, your copy and paste options, but it's also got paste from image. And so you can immediately tap that and then take a photo of the the image or, you know, find the image and it will select the text from it and be able to paste it for you. So things have gotten uh, quite a bit easier with um, any time you need to do text selection in, in photos. Um, I had a funny moment, though. Um, I can't remember if I shared this with you. I think I did. But uh, there's... There's a new object recognition feature in uh, this next version of iOS and iPadOS. And essentially what it does is it uses computer vision to look at a photo and um, try to understand what it's looking at and then give you some context uh, and information depending on what it uh, recognizes. So it might see a plant and you could tap and uh, learn more about that plant in particular. It might see a dog and you could learn more about that dog breed in particular. And uh, not too terribly long ago, I was at um, 
the the one of the tide pools here in Northern California uh, with my partner, and uh, Sebastian had bent down to grab. Um, I can't remember what he was looking for. He was looking for something in the water. And uh, so he was, you know, all the way bent over um, looking for something. And so I snapped a photo just jokingly. And uh, later when I was going through my photos, I saw the object recognition uh, symbol for that photo. So I tapped into it and it thought that his rear end um, with his jean pockets. Um, and you know, when I looked at it and looked at the the comparison, I thought, Oh, okay. I guess I could kind of see that. The, it, it thought that his rear end was a Boston Terrier. <laughs> <laughs> and so it had completely, you know, miscategorized or mischaracterized or mis, um, recognized this photo as that. So yeah, of course, there are going to be some some failures there. But I really I think some of the new computer vision stuff is pretty cool. Uh, and that also uh, is double with um, shortcuts. So I don't use shortcuts all that often um, to the debt or to the, the dismay of two of my co hosts, Matthew Casanelli and Rosemary Orchard. Uh, but I still I find it interesting and always, you know, pay attention to what's going on there. And one of the shortcuts um, features that's coming in iOS 15 is uh, sort of awareness of what's on screen. So a shortcut can see what's on screen right now and pull information from that, where before you had to have it, you know, it, it would you'd give a particular uh, location. So the front page of Safari, you know, the, the current uh, Safari page that you were browsing or whatever you were using uh, from which you were using the share sheet. So if I was on, you know, in an app and I tapped the share sheet and I ran a shortcut, it would know that the context was whatever page I was on while I was using the share sheet. This um, means that you can run a shortcut from wherever and it will look at what's on screen and use that information to um, kind of go forth with that. So I do like this idea of kind of more awareness and more um, functionality through that awareness. And so that is is one of the features that I think is pretty neat that's coming. Yeah, I just don't use shortcuts really. Um, so I will not probably see any benefit, but uh, I'm happy that people who like shortcuts will get that benefit. I have one shortcut and, that I use. I mean, that's it. <laughs> do you do any automation stuff? Um, I'm you know, you and I are both friends with uh, somebody who is uh, absolutely obsessive about automations and is incredibly helpful. Uh, thank you, Dan. Uh, in the past, uh, with automation stuff that I've needed help with, and um, I'm curious, you know, given that he's found so much use for automations in work that. I assume is similar to yours, if not the same. Um, do you do any automations? And I'm not talking about shortcuts now because you you said that you pretty much just use one, mm -hmm. but um, just any automation stuff in general. Uh, not really. I not to not to you know say something unkind about Dan, but he he has a lot of very specialized and customized workflows that are specific to his approach to things uh, that are not uh, always shareable or applicable to the way other people work um again good it's great for him uh but uh but they they they're they not uh, uh things that the wide world would necessarily use uh but i try to steer away from certain customizations because i find that more often than not i spend more time trying to make the customization work than i spend on actually getting the thing done uh so i have a few things in my life that are automated but it's very few and the automations are not uh complicated rube goldberg machines they are they're <laughs> like time of day comp uh, you know sort of things um so in the context of my work i have nothing that's automated um i make little things that are uh little things that are called like tool sets inside of nuke uh the compositing software that i use that are basically just a collection of um these little bits and pieces of things that do stuff but it it has no automated component to it um and so i don't consider that 
to fall into this category. Um, in my personal life, I have the one shortcut that I use that is for when I post an episode of the Defocus Bootleg um, that shows the uh, the link to membership to subscribe and to see the uh, feed for people who are logged in as a member right now. Um, should that interest anyone? And that's basically it. Uh, the uh, other stuff that I have, I have home automation, uh, home kit automations for lights turning on inside of the house at certain times. Um, and I try to vary it using like sunset plus or minus, you know, hours. That way it's not the same time every day. Um, but uh, that's, again, a level of automation. I installed little motion sensors and whatever inside of uh, door sensors um, for, you know, security reasons. Not like, not like armed response security, but like, did someone open the door or break into the house? Question mark. Uh, kind of that kind of level of security. Uh, so that's not automated. It could be automated by geotag, but I don't want to do that. I just want to push the button. Um, and I can't right. find, I can't find any way to figure out based on my, based on time of day and my location and context, what settings I would want it to automatically assume. Um, because I don't want to, I don't currently want to accidentally set off a siren, um, for any particular reason. So I, uh, am reluctant to embrace any kind of automation there as opposed to manually turning it on and off, um, for the few instances when I'm not in the house, uh, since I'm not going frequently back and forth between my, my place and anywhere else. Um, and uh, that's that's all all I got really. I used to do a lot more stuff with like Python scripting, um, especially in my uh, my old job when I was at uh, Sony Pictures ImageWorks. They use uh, Linux um, for everything, which is oh okay. So the system that they had was very accessible from the command line, as opposed to my current employer where the system is Windows. Uh, Windows 10 and it's not as ex there are ways to automate and script and do stuff in Windows I, it's just not a way that I work um, but in a Linux environment I was very easily able to be like hey yeah so this is my little command line application that I wrote to pull down data about um, camera information for uh, published cameras for a certain shot and to compare the versions that were used in a render with the versions that are available online to see if uh, a version was published after this render was done and that this render needs to be updated because it's out of date. And that was the kind of thing that is very helpful to do with automation, um, but is not applicable to my current job or context or anything I would share with people to use because they wouldn't be able to map it onto anything because it's like, <laughs> right. it's very proprietary to what you were doing. Um, so it's not that I'm afraid of automation and can't do it. I just don't. I don't want to put in the effort to automate something that isn't going to work 100% of the time faster than I would manually be able to do the thing. I totally understand that. And that's why when it comes to uh, smart home stuff, I tend to be pretty, uh, pretty hands-on with a lot of that because of the, um, that, that desire to, to just have it work and not have to, you know, wonder if it's going to work this time and wonder if I've, you know, set it up exactly right and uh, wonder if I'm going to have to reset it. All that kind of stuff just gets in the way and keeps you from wanting to, uh, <clears throat> to, to keep using it. And I think that it's been interesting seeing how um, I continue to, even whenever they talk about updates and, and, you know, fixes and improvements for the voice assistants, I continue to just not be a person that's into voice computing in general. Um, I just don't want to waste my time. And I feel like it is a waste of time every time. That is interesting because I have the exact opposite feeling and position on the subject. I love voice computing. Uh, and, 
I don't consider it to be a waste of time precisely because it's when I'm doing something that I can't type when when my especially if I have my hands full carrying something or I'm doing something else like washing dishes or whatever I can just shout into the ether and I get an answer back uh, about a thing so it, it makes me happy in that regard to be able to use it however that has to do with the voice assistant that I use which is A-L-E-X-A um, I do not use Siri for voice at all under any circumstances or context because it is so bad that like you said it is a waste of time and it so often gets what I am saying incorrect that it is fruitless it is if I need to do something with my phone um, or any kind of thing related to like HomeKit or whatever uh, it is never worth invoking Siri to do any of it because it is so awful at it even setting a voice timer it is terrible at um so i i really just don't use it at all when it comes to that specific voice assistant Mm -hmm. Um, but my position on voice assistants in general is that it's helpful Hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting yeah that is interesting i i honestly didn't expect that yeah, I mean, um, I think if one day Apple decides that they want to make Siri useful to anyone on the planet Earth, that it could potentially be a very competitive use for people. Maybe if they decide to put some sort of smart speaker in the home um, that people can talk to, and that's the only way you can really interact with it, I think that that could perhaps be a reason that they might consider improving the product. Um, if they ever decided to do any of those things, but you know, who, who can say what motivates them to do these things? Yeah. Or not do Mm -hmm. these things. Exactly. I, um, I'm really surprised that at WWDC, there were not like announcements like, oh yeah, Siri's not going to suck ass this time. Um, we, we have greatly improved its ability to do things. There was a little bit of it. Um, Mm. There was there was a little bit of it specifically related to uh, the it it holds on to context allegedly um, to help you. uh, So if you you ask it a thing and then you follow up with that thing, it will supposedly know that you were still talking about that thing. But again, I have no faith. I don't even (laughs) want to try. Yeah, I don't want to try it. Because I just doubt that it's going to work how I expect it to. And mm. I, you know, like Odo, uh, a changeling who avoided uh, the shocks that were coming after him. And unfortunately, that was used to, um, you know, mold him into specific shapes that the scientist was trying to shape. But like Odo and every other living being on this planet, we do our best to avoid pain when we can. and. Uh, one of those is the pain of having something just completely uh, fly in the face of what you expect. And so I just tend to avoid uh, interactions with Siri as much as I can, because by doing so, I don't have to deal with that disappointment or, again, frustration um, or, you know, waste of, of my time. Mm-hmm. So. I love the new voice and uh, the the new voices and are they're great for uh, directions. Whenever I'm listening to them, give me directions. But um, it was funny the other day that this just reminded me. Um, Sebastian and I were sitting on the sofa and he said, "Hey, S I R I, turn off the TV." And I said, "That's not going to work." And then it worked (laughs) and it actually turned off the TV. And I had this realization of like, wow, I don't even know all of what uh, Siri can do because I just don't even give it the time of day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just kind of shocked that it worked and it actually did the thing that uh, he wanted it to do. That said, um, there are people who use it all the time and it, it seems to be particularly common among um uh gen z people gen z folks love their voice assistant and uh that's because they don't my, know how to type <laughs> that could be the could be the case i uh see my my two younger brothers uh use 
S-I-R-I for a lot of things. I guess I can just say Siri. It's just whenever it's hey in front of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm always kind of shocked by that. Oh, the other thing that um, Siri brought was uh, on-device uh, processing. And mm-hmm. so it'll be offline for a lot of it. Um, it will be actually the processing with uh, the neural engine and stuff like that happens on the device itself. So it's supposed to get faster um, and be better at at doing that again. Yeah. Um, whether that's the case or not, I don't know. And uh, the personalization of features is no longer stored on a server either. So uh, all the stuff where Siri gets to know you as you use it, that all is happening on device as well. Oh, Jesus. Um, so we'll we'll see how. No, I, I, I am looking forward to it being faster because it'll be wrong faster. And I think part of my frustration is that it's so slow at being wrong that it really agitates me, especially if you try to use the watch. Like, God, God save you if you try to use the watch. Uh, my, my favorite thing is when it's like, oh, you don't need to pause and wait for me to catch up. You can just keep talking. That's a lie. You have to sit there and wait until it starts doing the little dot, 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 dots, and then you can start talking. Because I've had entire sentences it just lost to time uh, that, that just don't exist. They they were not captured or stored or sent anywhere, as far as I know. Uh, and uh, it, it just had to say the same thing over again. Um, and it's frustrating. Uh, so if it is faster at being wrong, then that's something. Because at least that might make you more prone to to give it a shot. Um, and it could let you realize ways in which it has modestly improved in some regards, uh, to, to your point about like controlling devices and stuff like, uh, being able to turn off the TV, uh, it can, it has a whole host of options that are available to you to use with the TV. Uh, if you have, uh, if you have a, a HomePod or HomePod mini, uh, and you can just talk into it to control the device. Uh, I don't have one because I don't want to use a HomePod mini to do anything else. And I don't want to buy the, uh, no longer going to exist kind of shortly HomePod. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of, kind of doesn't help, uh, everyone in that regard because there are not as many instances where you push the Siri button on the side. And I still find myself not happy with the position of that on the side of the remote, when you push the Siri button on the side, you can tell it to do some stuff, um, but it is most often best used for things like searching. Um, or, in my opinion, you go to a search field inside of an app and you use it as a voice dictation um, for what you wanted, and then you can go back and uh, correct the typing um, or spelling of whatever it was that it may have guessed wrong on. Because that is, I, I think, a little less frustrating because it also maintains your search sort of history for lack of a better term of what you just searched for. If that is unsuccessful, you only have to delete part of it um, as opposed to having to do a new voice search every single time. And if you look at any of those results, you need to start from scratch. Um, So I, I, uh, I I know that there are just so many options in terms of like features that it has. Um, So I don't want to say that it, it lacks the ability to like turn on or off your TV or play video or play a specific video or to, you know, do certain other smart features. It just is so consistently incorrect or inefficient uh, to use because correction is required um, that it is, like you said, a pain in the butt to use. And until they can do something about that, um, and I think the personalization is that being on device is actually going to increase um, errors uh, as opposed to reduce them but you know what do I know since I'm just guessing uh, but everything about the stuff that Apple does on device um, as opposed to in a centralized server space uh, is is not as good as I think they think it is um, like the number of I times agree. I've had like memories suggested and it's like yeah I, I know I, I freaking saw this or whatever like <laughs> ca- calm down it's on the other device or like uh, you know, the number of times that you get uh, like a sharing suggestion or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I, I sent this to the person with an iMessage already. Like, I, I or sorry, I airdropped it to a person. I didn't send it through iMessage. So why, like, they, they still have these problems of not really knowing the full context of everything. Uh, and I, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't it's just it, it. It bothers me, and it's one of those one of those things. Like you said, it just makes everything unreliable. Uh, and so you, I wind up doing a lot of stuff manually that I feel like a computer should be able to do better um, if it if it had the awareness and context. Um, and that's where we can bring shaming into it because then we can start shaming the computer. Um, I think we should have personalized on-device shaming. Uh, so when the watch like misses everything you said, you can scold it and then be like, you didn't record what I was saying and transcribe it. So you gotta, you gotta go sit in timeout now. Uh, At least honestly. So, um, Amazon has this feature and it's very good. Uh, it's not, it's not a timeout feature, but, um, they introduced this right after there was a lot of uh, conversation about the distrust of, um, Amazon and its handling of, um, AliExA stuff, uh, they, uh, it was, you know, all the companies, I remember that report about the big tech companies, including Apple, uh, having humans transcribe calls or not calls, but having humans transcribe, um, these interactions with voice assistants and using that information to improve upon it. Uh, and that led to this huge, uh, you know, kerfuffle, uh, about, these companies doing that and and what that meant and then of course we got permission uh the the option rather to uh give permission for collecting that stuff and when that happened amazon one of the things that they announced was a a voice option where you say um that's not what i wanted and then AliExA will say, uh, oh, what, you know, what did I do wrong or what did you want? And you can explain it. And then that information can be logged and sent. And so it would be, I would like it if uh, voice assistants had a sort of report this <laughs> option mm-hmm. where you would be able to directly improve upon it by showing where it's gone wrong, uh, like Amazon has done with AliExA. Yeah. And one of the things I, I like about their implementation is, if it gets something wrong and I'm too busy to correct it right now, I can open up the uh, app later and I can scroll through my history of things that ha- the queries and whatever, and I can mark it wrong and say why it's wrong um, just with text there. I can delete anything I want to uh, from there. There is no central clearinghouse for any of this data with Siri. Uh, so if you even want to like, you know, delete like a uh, one query or something like that, um, or if you want to uh, say that a query was incorrect or, you know, provide any sort of additional context or information, there, there is no reporting mechanism because there is no Siri app. Like, there is no, there is no front-end feature set to Siri. It, it just is supposed to exist as this thing that is across all of these platforms and functions uh without any sort of need to intercede or improve it uh because it's so perfect and the reality of the situation is that it sucks um and you know even the maps app they added the ability to report incorrect stuff with the uh directions in there you'll never hear about whether or not they fixed it um, it'll either just get fixed or it won't, and it'll just be a mystery for you. But there is a there is a field where you can enter what is wrong with some directions. Uh, like the other day, uh, when Apple Maps decided that the entrance to the Whole Foods Market in Pasadena was on uh, the Royal Parkway Street side instead of in the little side entrance to the parking garage. Uh, and I, it was giving me directions as I was driving through the parking garage to get to the front of the store. Uh, and I'm like, please, please stop. Please just don't do it. Uh, and I, w- I will report all this stuff later. Um, and I did. But there is no way to do that with, with Siri to be like, oh, yeah, I said this word and you guessed the wrong word. Or uh, I asked for this and you gave me something completely different. Uh, it, is, it just doesn't exist in the mechanisms that they, they have exposed to us as people, as human beings on the face of the earth. i don't know and 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 i know that it's i know it's very powerful especially for all these little apple nerds on twitter um who are just like yeah i can say this thing and siri triggers this shortcut which runs this you know script that's on a server that i have a free heroku instance on and that runs another script which triggers my other 
HomeKit response that turns on this thing via HomeBridge because that's not compatible with this other thing. Like, I know that that all exists and people are very happy to tinker with that. Um, but I, I, I will never, under any circumstances, do anything along those lines. And especially not if I know that it could possibly trigger the wrong thing or, or just not do it at all, um, which I would find equally disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's... Um... Ultimately, I just wish that all of it would do what I want it to do. Yeah, I mean, why can't people just why can't people just listen to me and do what I say? And that goes for computers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else uh that we we may have have missed or not, you know, covered in in some way. I will no. say I I'm a little a little um, weirded out by m- me. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. So I have always uh, said that I was, well, not only have I always said, but I've always believed and felt that I was not a gamer. Um, I don't, I, you know, uh, traditionally the only game that I ever played really um, with any kind of of uh, regularity was The Sims, and to this day, still a big Sims fan. Um, but outside of that, games just don't really interest me, or so I thought. Um, it turns out I might just be a picky gamer, <laughs> um, because I... Uh, so there was an episode of iOS today where Rosemary Orchard and I were talking about... Um, games that will take advantage of it was right after the new iPad Pros hit the streets, and we were talking about not just games, but games and apps that will take advantage of you know all that the the new iPad Pro has to offer. So you know, really uh, kind of graphics heavy games and really performance heavy apps. And um, that's when I came across a game called Divinity Original Sin Two uh, that was available on the iPad, and it is an RPG, a turn-based RPG, um, where you play this character who is, um, kind of starts out where they are, um, they're in the midst of this battle with gods. Like the gods are, are trying to maintain their lives. And in order to do so, they need to have like a scion on the planet to work with them to, uh, to claim divinity and then help them kind of, you know, funnel in that power or whatever. The the story, although as important as I was playing it, for the sake of ex- explanation, you can just go look it up, folks, if you want to learn more about it. But um, essentially, you are, it, it's almost, it's a bit D&D-ish uh, in that you gain these skills and spells and, um, you know, abilities as you're playing the game, as you uh, raise your level and as you collect um, money and, uh, weapons and all sorts of stuff. And so you're moving through the game and you have a a crew of people, uh, with you and you get experience points. And so you get to play yourself as well as three other characters. Um, and you can switch between them at any time and they can all be grouped together, separated. And I, uh, you know, downloaded this game for the sake of the show, and then I ended up, I was playing it, and then I was still playing it, and then I was still playing it, and I ended up beating this game. And I was like, wow, that was actually a lot of fun to play. And to say that I you know, beat this game, that was, it was hard. Um, and so then I went looking on the iPad for <clears throat> more games like Divinity Original Sin 2. Uh, and there aren't a lot of you know, true RPG games to the level of uh, graphic quality and interaction. A lot of them are, you know, they're mobile games and they're even on the iPad, they're mobile games. And so I, you know, did a search for uh, iPad RPGs and all sorts of stuff and couldn't find anything. And um, I was looking for, you know, some other options. And that's whenever I realized, oh, yeah, uh, I have an Amazon Luna controller uh, because I was, uh, you know, going to do a review for Twit at one point. So I had 
the controller and I uh, still had, I'd forgotten to cancel my Luna subscription. So uh, with Amazon Luna, for anybody who doesn't know, it is Amazon's own um, game streaming platform. Essentially what you, what it does is it streams a game from the cloud as opposed to you needing a local console to do all the processing and all that kind of stuff. It's almost like a YouTube video, but that you have control over in the sense that it's just streaming the uh, video to you and your interactions with it are streamed to the server. And so then you see it all play out in front of you. Um, and so it's a way you can play on kind of any device is, is the whole idea, any screen. So I looked and I found a game called, um, oh goodness, now I can't even think, I think it's called Immortals Rising. Um, and it was, you know, similar vein to uh, Divinity in that you play a character, in this one it's um, the, the, the Titans have broken loose and have captured all of the gods, the, you know, the Greek pantheon. And so you, as a one of the last mortals remaining on Earth, are tasked with fighting against uh, the the Titan that escaped, and um, you know restoring the gods to power. And so you go. It's it's historical, mythologically historical, in that you are collecting all of the the weapons of the different gods and uh, getting their uh, blessing for helping them through everything. And so once again. You're going around, you are uh, slowly gaining more experience and collecting resources and all that kind of stuff. And that is just that I found out that's my style of game. That's the kind of game that I like to play. And so, yeah, it's just been sort of a <clears throat> a reawakening, uh, not a reawakening that that that's inaccurate. But now I understand why um, for so long I haven't really played games because I haven't I did. I wasn't paying attention to what exactly I liked, and it, now it makes sense. Like Zelda was the last game that I played before I started playing again. And when I was, you know, way back in I think middle school, I played Zelda, and it's the same thing. It's that RPG. It's gathering. It's it's all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, learning something new about myself, and kind of uh, surprised that I am a bit of a gamer and actually can find joy in it. Because for me, um, one of the things that I've always said is, I really feel like I need to get something out of an activity. Um, especially if it's tangible, that's very helpful um, in order to enjoy it. And so when I thought of it like that, games did not, for the most part, fall into that. That's why a game like Monopoly is just utterly boring to me because you're just moving around a board and, you know, trying to spend more money than the other folks or it, it, there doesn't feel like it's it's it all feels very luck of the draw, very low strategy, very um, it's like we all know how the outcome is going to be every single time. One of us is going to win by having uh, bankrupt everybody else. And it's why a game like Clue is more fun to me because the outcome is not always the same. It's it's, um, you know, more strategy, et cetera. So. Yeah, I I'm a little surprised that my mind is eating this up, but I'm also happy with it because I've noticed that it's actually been uh, kind of a stress relieving thing to do. And I didn't know that I was going to have this avenue for my stress. And um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I I mean, I, I also poo poo games all the time, um, not and like you, it's it's mainly I, I just don't have the interest in most of them. Uh, it's not that I, I think the concept of playing a video game is bad or anything. Um, but the uh, last video game that I really enjoyed playing was uh, Mass Effect 2, which is a long time ago. Um, and they just recently did a sort of like refresh, uh, you know, where they visually improve upon uh, the existing assets and whatever and publish the the game again they did it for the mass effect trilogy uh and if you had a current generation console you could go out and get that but because mass effect 2 was the last game that i played i it's for the xbox 360 um mm. and i had that specifically to play mass effect 1 and mass effect 2 um and i don't really feel inclined to purchase a console to play 
um, the trilogy of games that I've already played. Uh, right. But it, it is it is an option uh that exists out there and it's just like i I wish there were more games that were like that because it's it's this action rpg a third person action rpg thing with a very sort of specific take on style and stuff that uh i enjoy playing visually at the time although now it doesn't look as like refined or polished um but it, it was it was just uh something that was very compelling at the at the at that moment and uh, I do kind of miss the ability to like drop in and play something like that. Although I know that, you know, with a game like that, th- part of the problem is also it's like a good book where you don't want to put it down. And uh, it's not a, a casual game experience, um, which is, I think, one of the other reasons why I don't really like any of the games that have ever been put in front of me on iOS or on uh, in in that sort of context, iOS or the iPad, um, because it, it's just not, it's, it's not like a good book. Um, it is, right. it is, yeah. is the a story is stilted or boring or, you know, it, they, yeah, that, I think that that's what it is, Joe too, is I, I, I like good stories. I really like good stories and I like, um, I love listening to, uh, fantasy audiobooks, And so this is, one that I get to do some level of partaking in. And so it's, uh, it's even more enjoyable in that way. Yeah. It's a good book that you don't want to put down and you can really get lost in and get lost in the story. And that, that's what I, I think that immortal, um, Phoenix rising, not at, it's more of a, it's kind of a comedy, um, in a way it wasn't as, um, good, as uh, divinity but divinity yeah the story there and you really start to like feel for the different characters um my main character ended up uh, sort of entering into a relationship with one of the other members in my party and there's all this story there and you shape it uh you know you with your, your relationships with the different characters and with other people in the world and so that's a lot of that's a lot of fun when that all can come together and it it works and clicks yeah uh and on that note of things that work and click um click <laughs> this podcast click. Is over. <laughs> that works <laughs> uh, and you you click at work and you have to work so you gotta click so you can work yeah everybody has to click in this economy come on <laughs> in this economy mm-hmm. all right